What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast, and we are on episode 55, and Dimitri and I are joined by Ted Bright, and Ted is from Missouri, and in this episode, we talk about his successful season that he had just past year, and uh, some lessons learned, talk about mobile hunting, and how he scouted early in the season and went in on the very next day to shoot the buck that he was after. Thank you so much, Ted, for coming on. We enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully you get something out of it. And if you did, uh, make sure you go leave that five-star review on whatever platform you're listening. Thanks again, everybody, for the support. Enjoy the episode. Till next time, Antler Up. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on the other line, we have we are joined by Ted Bright from Missouri. So, Ted, how you doing, buddy? Hey, guys, I'm doing well. Thank you. Appreciate awesome. you asking me to join. Look Not, forward to it. Yeah, man. Thank you. I just, uh, man, from from all seeing what you got done this past year, I was excited to have, to ask you to come on and, uh, you know, coming through with Tethered. I, I think you, uh, you bring a cool perspective as far as saddle hunting is concerned, but also self-filming and, you know, your, your style of hunting. So we're excited to dive into what all that, you know, entailed for you this past year. But before we do that, Ted, could, could you give our listeners just a little bit of background of who you are and kind of like where, where you're coming from and your hunting and all that stuff? Yeah, sure. So uh, Ted Bright, I live outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm 42 years old. Uh, grew up early on in Pennsylvania, so hunting like South Central Pennsylvania, below uh, South of York area. Okay. Uh, but we also hunted in the mountains out by Bedford. Uh, right in, in our backyard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome area. A lot of deer. Uh, and, you know, now, like I said, I live in Missouri, and um, this you know, as it, you know how it goes, right? You get old, it gets older, you get, you got family and kids, all this and that, you know, <laughs> time becomes your most valuable asset. And, uh, I don't necessarily make time to fish anymore or to rabbit hunt or to pheasant hunt, whatever, but I make time to archery hunt. Okay. I, I do the others as, you know, as it allows, but I will make time to archery hunt and scout and, you know, do all the things associated with it that I love. Awesome, man. Well, dude, let's dive into uh, 2020 because I know you had a an awesome uh, start here in your in your home state now, uh, but then you also were out in Nebraska. So, uh, which one happened first? Because I know the Missouri one popped up on on your channel first, but before the tethered one. So, which one came first, and which one do you want to dive into? Uh, well, it's just easier to do it chronologically, and uh, the opener in Nebraska is September the first, and that's when I killed that buck. So. I got out there a few days ahead of time and did some scouting and, uh, you know, we're just on public ground. I'd, I'd never hunted Nebraska before, let alone, you know, step foot on this area and, you know, killed a nice buck on opening day after a rigorous, probably five mile kayak in and three mile hike to the very back of the, uh, the public piece that we were on. And yeah, uh, shot a nice eight pointer, probably three and a half year old. And, uh, then the Missouri opener was September 15th. So, okay. But now I don't want to jump ahead too far if you wanted to talk more about the Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Dimitri. Now, this piece in Nebraska, is this an area you've hunted before or, or scouted uh, previously? Or is it something maybe no. you just picked up on Onyx and and uh, thought it looked good on the map and then maybe went in there before the season started? Can you explain that a little bit? Sure, sure. So, that, you know, that's always one of the toughest uh, parts of the process is just honing in on where to go, right? Because yeah. You know, you could easily hone in on the wrong area and just set up, you know, for failure the whole time or whatever. But 
Um, you know, I always try to keep a few places in mind and not really make the decision on where exactly I'm going to go until, you know, you have the, all the most recent intelligence and everything that you're analyzing. Right. Uh, so I had a few spots picked out and, uh, you know, I drove, um, like, I guess you could say an indirect route to the area that I thought that I would end up, which is where I ended up, but I scouted a few different pieces along the way. Right. Instead of it being a 10 hour drive, you know, I left like super early in the morning and I just, it, it took me all day to get there. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, I ended up those places that I scouted along the way, I didn't think were going to be better than the place that, you know, at the end of the route that I intended on going. And sure enough, that's what I did. Was there anything in particular you, you were looking for as far as like terrain features that, you know, especially early on for an opener in, in a state that you've never stepped foot in before? Yeah, I wanted timber. I, I mean, I typically prefer, you know, I don't mind some open fields or whatever. Uh, and, I, you know, open country mixed in is great. But I, I don't know. I'm just not that big on all open country. I like some timber in the mix. So that's what I was shooting for. Well, because I think, too, like, Dimitri, you and I have talked about, you know, Nebraska trying to get there and seeing, especially driving through when we went to Utah, it, it does offer the timber, and it also offers that uh, open terrain just because of seeing the guys from THP, you know, Zach hunted there a couple years ago, like, when they, like, their first season of THP when he had that cool buck and then next year. Yeah. I mean, I know they go back because Greg's from there, and I know they've hunted that the last couple years, but you just see the different like you were saying, it's just the, the total terrain. And, uh, I, we got our, our butts whipped in Utah and that's mm -hmm. our first Western quote unquote hunt. Uh, but just even just hunting that type of terrain in general, as far as like open and watching, you know, an animal bed and trying to get in on, on an animal like that. So I, I, I kind of like that. Uh, cause that's how I felt too. Cause I've been trying to get my dad to convince him to go out West, like early for something like that for a whitetail. And, and, uh, I, he's only ever hunted, you know, that big timber wooded area. And uh, I think that it, you know, it offers that. So I like that your, your first initial reaction was like, Hey, let's find some timber and get in there. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people are the opposite. They want to, they like that open country, which, you know, it's, I mean, it's fun. I do too. Uh, but I prefer that at, at least some timber, you know? Well, I think, you know, does that have to, does knowing how to read sign, does that play a role for, for that? Like in that decision, like, you know, exactly what you're looking for when you are, in in that timber area yeah and i know how to hunt hill country probably even more important you know i mean finding sign is you know yeah it certainly helps you you know if you're familiar with that general um you know topography or environment but knowing how to hunt specifically thermals in hill country i think is uh you know it, it takes a while to learn that yeah uh to a to a high degree anyway and uh i feel like that it's one of the stronger parts of my game. That's awesome. Yeah. Now you use the kayak to access that spot in Nebraska. Was that something you were looking for the, on the map? Uh, was it just maybe that's how you had to get into that spot because of wind direction or where the bedding was? Um, was that something you were kind of looking for before when you were scout pre-scouting that season? Well, I, I took my kayak and my e-bike, and that, that kind of tells you that I was prepared for anything, basically, yeah. uh, because the property that I ended up hunting, uh, you know, didn't you couldn't use an e-bike, so I just I took it for nothing. But uh, but I had the kayak, and you know, I think anytime you can get creative with your access, uh, you know, it just sets you apart from 
the average hunter that isn't going to that extreme. Yeah. You know, what ultimately led you to that exact spot and getting in on that buck? Uh, so it was a beaver pond location. But ultimately, uh, you know, if you rewind to the first time that that spot was in my mind, it was when I was aerial scouting, you know, uh, cyber scouting on Onyx. And, you know, I think, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, uh, beaver dams are, you know, they're normal part of the environment. And you can really use them to your advantage because there's such a wide berth of water yeah. uh, that there's going to be typically choked down movement on the backside of the beaver dam. And you can see a beaver dam easily on aerial imagery yeah. because of that. It's, it's there's water and then there's a straight line, you know, it's uh, it sticks out. And so I had seen that and, you know, especially out West water is a, you know, it's a very attractive feature, especially in early September, especially when it's hundred degrees, especially <laughs> when it's not a lot of rain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, it just kind of all added up and at that, at that time of year, water better be in the back of your mind anyway. Yeah. yeah, especially when you're going out west. Uh, so, you know, it just kind of all added up to that. That spot was almost exactly like um, the the area, the public piece that I chose in that, you know, I had probably 15 different pins marked of different areas that I wanted to check out. And that was like my ultimate, like at the end of the line yeah. destination where I, I felt like I knew that I'd be able to see something there or I would see good sign there. And there was, you know, these 10 spots that I wanted to check out on the way back there. And sure enough, just like, you know, the entire trip on the route out there, it was, uh, you know, there was some good stuff. But when I got back there, I was like, uh, yeah, this, this just like looks good. And sure enough, you know, I saw, well, Dylan Hazen was there and he was filming. And I don't know, I think we saw three different bucks that, that like starting in the mid afternoon, even. And one was just a dandy. I think it was like a nine pointer, if I remember right. And he came down to the beaver dam. That's hole. the one that crossed, right? You yeah, he came down in yeah. there like splashing. And yeah. You could tell. He acted like he owned that beaver dam. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool footage. What was it like to have, you know, we're, we'll get into it talking about self filming, but what was it like having Dylan there behind your shoulder? Uh, no, I mean, Dylan is pretty, uh, he's pretty savvy in the woods. So, you know, you yeah. don't really have to worry about anything. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he picks up on things. So, you know, you don't have to talk when you don't have to talk. And, you know, he's good at like, you know, figuring out signals or whatever, you know, to take the, the cues. Um, so I, it was pretty seamless with him. Yeah. I could definitely see where there would be issues with, you know, with somebody not as, you know, woodsmanship with right. savvy or whatever is doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I like it. Now, what was the terrain features around this beaver pond? Now, were you hunting closer to the bedding area or, you know, were you kind of in a transitional phase from the bedding to uh, the food? How are you kind of set up in this area? So it's pretty much, you know, steep rolling hills uh, with patches of timber and, you know, mixed in with open grasslands. Um, so, you know, the bedding could be anywhere. It really wasn't as much about, um, you know, was the specific bedding area as much as it is. It could almost be bedded anywhere. And it was really difficult to find that. So you at that point in the season, especially you're better off just going after the destination, you know, whether it be acorns in the morning or water in the evening seems to be the most logical way to go about it. 
Right. That was a good trip for all you guys out there, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Greg shot a nice buck, and I think he saw a really nice buck also. And if I remember right, we saw a couple of the same bucks uh, by the descriptions given, you know. Yeah. I but like out there, you know, you can expect to see a lot of deer. The, the deer density is not necessarily that high, but your odds of seeing them are high, you know, because of how open the country is. Right. And being in, like you were saying too, when you look at the water, how important that is at during that time when it, it's a hundred degrees, no rain over summer. And, uh, you know, that early, I think too, uh, that's the one thing that I, I wish not necessarily Pennsylvania has, but something that I would love to get more into is going to some of those closer States near Pennsylvania that offer that opportunity. Uh, I know Maryland opens up pretty early in September. I mean, obviously you could travel and you could do that, but you know, like what we were saying earlier about having a family and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a school teacher and, uh, Dimitri's a physical therapist. So getting time off is, you know, we really want the rut time or that, that mid season and, and mid or late October, some time off. So, uh, but man, I, I would love after going out West, it kind of, put a bug in my, you know, just to try to do the early season whitetail thing. Yeah, that was my first time doing it. In fact, I never really even got into early season hunting, even like locally, you know, yeah. I just always had it in my head that it, it sucked and it was hot and it's no fun. And well, you know, eventually it's like cooking a sissy and, <laughs> and do it, you know, yeah. and uh, sure enough, you know, it, it it doesn't take long to find out that it's a, it's a high odds time, uh, you know, with a greater likelihood of being able to, uh, to harvest the target that you see, or at least get an opportunity at a target that you see. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well then let's, let's talk a little bit about where you're hunting then at home. Like what was, so you, you, you know, punch that tag out in Nebraska, you're hanging out there with some good friends and you're coming back home. What was the, uh, what was on the agenda from then until your opening day, uh, that of hunting in Missouri? Uh, so just doing that fine tuned scouting. So, um, you know, I, and I had moved the previous summer and I moved about like an hour and 20 minutes from where I used to live. So really hunting all new deer, you know, totally different patterns and everything. And, um, there's a lot higher deer density here than where I lived, which, you know, sounds great, but it really does present its own unique set of, of challenges. You know, I mean, um, I'll take locating and getting an opportunity at a buck in a lesser deer density area, um, like the central Ozarks versus in this area around St. Louis, where there's a higher deer density, it's a little bit easier, I think, but anyway, um, so when I came back, you know, I, I had scouted all summer, you know, the summer before that, I didn't get to do any scouting. So I basically was hunting and scouting all in one and learning the local deer herd and everything. Um, and then, uh, so after I got back from Nebraska, you know, I had a few targets in mind, one really, really good one of which I never could get permission, uh, on any of the properties around that area. So I wasn't able to really go after him. Uh, but several good bucks around my area here, just within e an e-bike ride of the house. And uh, so, you know, I really tried to hone in on those. And sure enough, you know, I was able to uh, get a pretty good pattern on about three different bucks. And the largest of which was probably about a 150 double split G2. Uh, so I, I hunted the, the first week of the season. I think I hunted four times for him and I didn't see a deer. You know, you know how it goes, right? Yep. You hunt these, 
deep, dark, lonely places trying to get a buck after he gets out of his bed, you don't see a whole lot, right? And that time of the year, you have limited, uh, you know, uh, vision range. And after four times of not seeing anything at all, and, you know, just, uh, I was getting a little, uh, I guess you could say burned out on pussyfooting around about it, right? Yep. So next day, I'm, I'm frustrated. I just tore out. and I'm going scouting and getting on something, right? And, uh, so that was September the 24th. And I, uh, sure enough, I found some really good buck bedding and I had pulled a card from a camera that was close by, got back and I, you know, I had my target locked in for sure. I knew exactly where he was betting and I took some video like highlighting, uh, you know, Hey, I found this bedding area, which was, it was really like the, um, the point of a knob. And it was probably like a, I, I don't know, a, a 20 to 30 square yard area where this buck had multiple beds and, you know, big old piles of crap. I mean, the turds in there were huge, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not left by a small animal, you know? Yep. Uh, so I actually took video and I described exactly what I was going to do. And I said, I'm going to come in here and kill this buck tomorrow morning. And that's exactly what I did. I got up <laughs> super early, like three 30 or something crazy. And uh, just got in there. Like I, was, I think I was set up. I was in there like two hours beforehand up in the tree and everything. And then I just take my time and I set up my camera gear and everything. I just go super slow because I had plenty of time. And I'm just quiet as could be. And I was set up like an hour and a half before shooting light and didn't say anything for a little while. And then I think it was, uh, that's tough to remember because the daylight changes. It was like 7.30 or 7.20, something like that maybe. And he came back to bed and sure enough, he was munching on acorns like, 16 minutes just munching on acorns like not in a hurry to you know he was in his bedroom but yeah. he wasn't in a hurry to go to bed right uh finally uh, after well, i even came to full draw and last thing before i let the arrow fly or before i entered my shot execution i should say i looked down and he's out of frame so i had to let down with the hinge which i'm new to the hinge this year let down refocus the camera, get it back, get him back in frame, redraw. And I mean, there was probably like four or five minutes later too. Uh, so I passed on the 16 yard shot and I ended up taking the 25 yard shot and I drilled him and he, he ran 40 yards and crashed. Actually he wobbled and then just kind of fell over and rolled down the hill, but you, you all on film and it was really cool. You had him too, even like closer than 16 too, didn't you? Like, I mean, before you drew back yeah. or yeah. Yeah, he was probably like 12 to 14 yards and you know how I go it's just thick that time of year and it really wasn't even that thick because well that's the buck behind me in my background for the for anybody that's watching yep and you can see it's pretty open until you get above the foliage and you know I just had some stuff around me that I just wasn't comfortable shooting through I probably could have but he was so relaxed and I had everything in my favor that there was no point in getting into a hurry it's amazing like when you when you talk about like the openness and everything like that just when you just walk in any piece of property like if Dimitri and I are are we have we we have a good amount of, of public land where we're capable of hunting which we do you know if we go early season like you were saying it's it's thick it's this and and it's hard to see but then you go back later on and hunt late season I remember I was doing that uh in December I'm walking around I'm like holy crap it just looks like a whole different 
area. You know what I mean? It's just a, oh, a yeah. total different area from, from what you're going through. And, you know, you almost have to rethink your access then, you know, because if certain where deer are and where you can maybe sneak in before you can anymore, uh, it's just something different and hunters got to take into account. And I'm, we've talked about that on the podcast earlier episodes about your, your, your interest in uh, exit strategies got to be, you know, be on point. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, the way I think of it is I like to have the trifecta must jive and the trifecta for me is the prevailing wind thermals and your entry. So if you can get like, you know, one minimal line of basically contamination, I guess you could say, where you walk in one way and your thermals are going to jive with that and the prevailing wind is going to jive with that. In my opinion, if you do those three things, more often than not, if there's deer in the area, you're going to put yourself in a favorable position. Yeah. Now, do you feel comfortable? You you did a little scouting uh, prior, what, a couple of days prior to killing that buck, but you were right there in the, the bedding area uh, doing a lot of scouting. We talk a lot about it on the podcast, even in high-pressure areas, how you can get away a uh, little more than what you think with some of these mature bucks. So you were in there scouting, walking around, finding beds and and were you afraid of, of maybe leaving scent or, you know, maybe that he would kind of shift his area a little bit just because he, you were in there a couple of days prior, or do you feel like, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't have to worry about as much, but just trying to find that hot, hot sign at that moment. So it, when I went in there, it was the day before. <clears throat> so if you think about that, you know, as I'm approaching this knob of a bedding area, he's going to see me or hear me way before he smells me, which is, you know, like that's the ultimate, yeah. uh, you know, detrimental thing you can do. Uh, so he's going to see me or hear me and he's going to get up and go and he's going to leave. Right. And in a way he's been, his, his bedding area has been uh, reinforced in his mind because he heard or saw a threat. He left and he stayed alive the rest of the day. Right. Uh, so if you think about it that way. And then, he left his bedding area. And so he had no idea I was even in there, right? Because he probably didn't come back to it that day. Um, so his next time returning was when I saw him that morning at 7.20 or 7.30. And I got an arrow through him before he ever even knew I was there because he didn't get to the area where I was walking. <clears throat> but even if he would have, you know, I think deer in the early season are just a different level of tolerance, right? there's no way I would go in and scout an area in the late season and expect that I would find that much sign and, and see that buck that next day. You just can't do it that way. Yeah. Dimitri, bring up when you saw, we saw that big chocolate horn buck during our little rutcation, right? That's when we saw him in that area, just because of how big that is. Where do you think that sucker would have been early, like a week or two before? You know, I, th I think he was still in that area. I mean, the, the area that we were hunting, um, I think he kind of had several bedding areas where, where he kind of located. Uh, this area, there's a kind of a, a field close to the road, um, which is actually private. And then uh, when you pass the field on either side, there, there's clear cuts. And I think sometimes this, this buck either switches 
you know, to one side or the other side of the road, depending on maybe wind direction or, you know, maybe pressure. And, and I think he kind of bounced around because, you know, the one bedding area where I think he normally was, we were hunting in the early season. And right. I just don't think he was, he was there. I think he actually, you know, because he is more tolerant to a little bit of pressure early on, I think he might've been closer to that field and uh, closer to that road instead of we were diving a little further back thinking that that's where he would be because of the, you know, people coming on the public to set their tree stands or trail cameras because it is a high pressured area, even early on of people, you know, um, getting ready for the season. But I think again, like, like you said, is, is he a little bit more tolerant? You know, he's probably hanging in those clear cuts close to the road, close to that field. Um, but you know, sometimes I think, I think a lot of those mature bucks may not have just one bed, you know, yeah. so they, they may have an area, but they're going to kind of shift depending on where they feel the most safe at that time. Yeah. So I, I, I built my scouting foundation on boots on the ground and aerial scouting. Uh, to me, trail cameras are, it's almost like a cherry on top. Uh, I knew what I was going to do and I had it all planned out before I even got home and checked that card. That card just confirmed for me that it was the buck that I thought it was basically. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, at the same time, I'll say that trail cameras have been a weak part of my game that I could certainly improve on. And I, and I really tried to do that this last year because prior to that, I just basically quit using them and, you know, it was just kind of, done with it or whatever for a while and then last year i uh kicked it up a notch and in fact the next video that i drop is going to be uh a, like a highlight of all of the bucks that came to a primary scrape in a primary bedding area uh throughout the entire month of november and, and into december actually so basically it was two months from wow. october 23rd or so until december 23rd Third or something like that. Uh, I had a camera over a primary scrape in a primary bedding area with entire soaking the whole time without interaction at all. And it was awesome to see. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I think too, I love how you said that camera is just there to confirm is your cherry on top. Like you already have that game plan of where you're going and in and that just is going to confirm what you already have a pre a, a, assumption of and uh you know if it's not there then you just move you kind of nix that off i'm assuming and then go to the next spot and go to that next area i think that's something too that i know dimitri you've already have done that and and do that but i think you know just to kind of continue to do that and improve upon that is something that we want to to do for for next hunting season for sure yeah i think the biggest thing for us next year is we were more aggressive as far as going into betting early on i just think we weren't looking for the sign that was in there i think we were a little afraid kind of you know what ted uh talked about is not being afraid that you're going to bump that buck out of his bed when you're yeah. looking for the bed which is going to give you a lot more intel uh than just going in and hunting the edges of betting or just inside but knowing where which way that that buck's going to travel and i think next year we got to kind of look for that hot sign and, and set up on it and not be afraid that if we go in there we're going to jump a few deer or you know and that's going to give us a better chance of you know coming across that deer in the early season yeah now Ted, how much has uh 
being in the saddle the past couple of years played a role in, you know, in your uh, aggressive style of, of hunting? Oh, it's, I mean, it's a huge factor. Uh, you know, when I can throw a, you know, a relatively slim and athletic fitting pack on my back and wear my saddle in with, you know, the majority of my gear in my saddle. Uh, and then I, you know, I carry all my camera gear and everything and my platform and my sticks and then, you know, whatever my climbing method is on my yeah. pack. Uh, you know, it's just so minimal. <clears throat> so it allows you to get through the brush quietly. Uh, you know, you're not getting mad and frustrated <laughs> because your stuff is catching on everything. I mean, a frustrated mindset is doomed for failure, you know, yeah. because you just can't, there's not room for that. Typically when it comes to the margin of error of killing a big buck, there is not room for that. Right. Uh, now certainly it can happen, but you know, it, you are confident and positive your mindset's going to be a lot more uh, likely for success and just that you know for that for most people i think just the excitement of something new the adventure of trying a new way that oh by the way is more tactical more comfortable uh and just more fun yeah it kind of invigorates them for all the listeners out there, you know, if you know anybody that's got a saddle, go test it out, try it out, hang out in one, do some shooting in one. That's the one thing, though. I Have you, I mean, obviously, because you've been doing it for the past couple of years and, you know, you're all in it. That's the one thing that I've found to be the best and my favorite transition other than the, the safety and the comfort is the shootability in it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, yeah. It's, shooting is easier. Now, of course, there's certain shots that are going to be more challenging than others, uh, just like anything else. But, you know, my son summed it up really well when he was just kind of talking about it after he shot one of his deer. He's like, I, I feel like my my muscles are free to move. And he, he said that when he was in a tree stand, it felt like he was like trying to press through the bottom of the tree stand floor and he would have a hard time getting his bow back. Yeah. You know, a, a bow that he can shoot 30 times in the backyard but in a tree stand where I guess you, you're just confined, um, he, uh, you know, would have a hard, hard time pulling the boat back, but in the saddle, he doesn't have that problem at all. Yeah. You're just kind of free. You're, you're loose. Now talk a little bit about, about your self-filming setup, just because I know that's something, you know, you've been doing for a couple of years and you're mainly doing it too, like with a GoPro for a while, weren't you? Yeah. I, well, I tested it, you know, I yeah. wanted to see what it was. So, uh, yeah, last bit, last season the 19 season was my first season of attempting to sell film and I, I didn't i didn't get a kill on film well i shouldn't say i came really close to getting it in the frame if it wasn't for my uh sis hauler pouch on the side of <laughs> a close-up of carl casus thread injection skills yeah there you go uh, right when i shot you can hear it and see it and everything like that uh but anyway so 19 was my first year both bucks that I killed, uh, I aborted mission as soon as I saw the deer. You know, I was just like, whatever, I don't care. I just want to kill this buck. And then uh, I wanted to take a little bit more of a disciplined approach to it in the 20 season. And I did, obviously, when, you know, I let down just to get the deer in frame. Um, so, you know, the Nebraska buck, of course, Dylan Hazen filmed. And then uh, my first Missouri buck, I was able to get it all on cell film. And then uh, I actually didn't kill a deer in the months of October or November. And in fact, I didn't kill a deer until like the last week of December. Uh, so like midway through December, 
my son just didn't hunt as much as he typically does. And usually he's the one that fills the freezer with does and whatever else he wants to kill, you know? Yep. Um, and so it was like late December and I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta fill this freezer. So I went on a little bit of a spree and I killed, uh, I think, uh, well, I killed four does and a buck in the last like three weeks of the season. And I got them all on film. Uh, one of them, I, I didn't take the camera and the camera arm and I wanted to try it just with a GoPro on the tether and a GoPro on the stabilizer. And even on a close shot, you know, your video quality is just limited. So I wasn't real happy with that. Um, so then I went back to carrying the camera all the time. What, cause you said about, you know, last year to this year, you know, you just had that discipline. Like I, I'm going to do that. Was there anything else or advice that you could give someone just because that's something where I, I, I battle that big time. Like the two doe that I shot this past year, I did the exact same thing where it was like, I'm just killing this deer. I'm just having the shot opportunity. Like I'm just going to go for it. Doing what you did. I, that's the one thing where you were able to let down, watch the deer walk and get in another good position, draw back, anchor and get a, a, a beautiful shot off. What's the one thing that maybe you could say to me or someone else out there that is struggling with that? They want to film, they're filming, but then when the moment comes, they're just set earlier, pussyfooting around and just going for the shot opportunity. Well, and trust me, I was public enemy number one there for a while, but it's just discipline. You know, yeah. it just really is. It's how committed are you to it? Um, you know, it's easy to just abort mission yeah. and say, you know, I just want to kill that buck. Um, but it, it takes more discipline to, you know, to think through the situation and, you know, refocus, you know, readjust the situation, whatever you need to do to get it, make it happen on film. And to me, it's more uh, the realization of, you know what, I should be that focused anyway, right? I, I feel like I let myself down a little bit or even the animal down a little bit when I get too excited to where I would make a rash decision. Like I'm going to abort the mission that I've worked hard for. I have all these hours in stealth wrapping the camera arm and the money in the camera, all that stuff, you know, yep. just to say, oh, I'm going to shoot it, you know, Yeah. Uh, which is still a lot of fun. I mean, shooting a big buck is great fun regardless, but the discipline of getting on self on a self film is a different level. And there is other benefit because to me, that's what it's all about. It's about the hunting benefit and how can I be a better hunter? How can I, have a better, I guess you could say hunting relationship with the buck. Yeah. And that is, uh, you know, through a disciplined approach that, you know, I, if I make the decision that I need to shoot this buck right now, and I don't care if it's on film, it's a little bit different than I see the buck and I want to shoot it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how I look at it. Now, do you, when you're kind of picking a stand location, do you think about filming at all? You know, I know for myself, a lot of the times, uh, especially when it's the rod or, you know, being more aggressive, getting into these bedding areas, it's a lot thicker and, and you can't see very far. So a lot of the times the trouble I was having is, you know, I may not see the deer until, you know, he's already at 40 yards or in when I first see him. So, you know, the time it takes to, to get, get your camera arm, turn your camera on, grab your bow, put it on the deer, try to zoom in, you know, and that's a big struggle is is to do all that. And maybe, you know, snap of the finger, your, your shot opportunity has diminished. So, you know, are you looking maybe 
to an area where you may be able to see a, a little bit further where you have a little bit more time to get the camera set up and, and ready uh, for when that shot opportunity presents itself? No, I, I don't. Maybe I should. I, I don't know, but I don't think about anything but the optimal tree to kill. And then, you know, everything else kind of falls from that. Um, you know, I mean, ideally, if you're going to be set up optimally for a kill shot, then it really shouldn't be that much different when you incorporate the camera into it. Well, maybe, maybe I'm missing something there. I don't know. I, I'll have to think about that the next time. What's the one thing of self-filming equipment-wise that have you found to be a benefit to you? This year, I tried for my self-filming kit. I really like the new fourth arrow arm. Like they yeah. came out with a new talent arm. Like I found that to be huge compared to what they used to have. Um, what's the, like one of your, you know, piece of gear that you found to be really helpful or you found it like, man, this is a really nice piece to have, or you would recommend it to someone. Yeah, I definitely like the fourth arrow arm. I got the new camera arm also. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, that just that, that whole operation there, you know, with the base and everything is, is really good. It made a huge difference. Now, when, uh, so that would definitely be number one. Just, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. What, um, what kind of fluid head are you using? Uh, Manfrotto, just when I got off of Amazon, I think it was like a hundred dollar yeah. model or whatever. I don't even know exactly what model it was, but. Yeah. Cause that's the one thing like for me with the saddle, I found one that has like a shorter arm that was really helpful just because I, I used to have one that's like a little bit longer. And when I took that one out, I used the shorter one all season. And then when it came down to it, like there'd be times where it's not it, Cause mine is a, my good one is like a knockoff Manfrotto one and you know, it's heavy. It has like really good panning, just all that, like, like a Manfrotto. Whereas my little one, it, it's, it does the job and it does, a you know, it's light. It's like I said, the handle is only about that big. Um, but I noticed during certain times, if I were to pan, it wouldn't be as smooth. Or if I was just trying to be fixed on something, it would move. Like it just wouldn't like stay locked in. And it was always a, adjusting and fidgeting around. I'm almost tempted to like cut my, my good one, the arm like in half and just stick that little tape it or something like that. Just because it drives me nuts for how long it is. Just because I found it as I'm where I have it located it just seemed like it was just too long like it got in the way a little bit towards that late season so other than that my my filming setup in the saddle was pretty basic i mean other than the having that the good fourth arrow arm uh, and then i put my gopro up on my tether is that where you keep yours yes it has a good angle and, and uh you know i just i wish i would be able to tilt that more because I've as I go I think on my tether I just have to adjust it a little bit better to get more in frame for what I want basically oh no that's a definite challenge I mean I don't know that you'll get around it with a GoPro even on the his trap yeah and I I shot a, a late season doe uh, January 13th so two days before the end of the season and uh, I had pivoted all the way around the tree on the weak side and was pinned against the tree and I was totally out of the frame of the GoPro, you know, yeah. there's no way yeah. the only way around that probably is the, the 360 camera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw too on your video with the Missouri buck, uh, you know, you had on there about the single bevel broadhead. Uh, what uh, have you been using those type of broadheads for the past couple of years? Cause I know Demetri and I, we're going to be testing out just some, uh, you know, fixed blade broadheads for, for next year and stuff like that. 
Uh, yeah, I'm using the Kudu heads, uh, the Kudu Contour 125s, and I have seen great results with them. Uh, in fact, that doe that I just shot last week, a week ago exactly, uh, I, you know, she was walking and she was approaching my scent trail and I had to squeeze it off a little bit quicker than what I wanted to. And I ended up getting a liver shot, like all liver, no guts, no diaphragm, all liver. And she kind of, she bolted for like 10, 15 yards. And then she just walked off another 30 yards and laid down and died. Uh, with these fixed heads, it's like they just zip right through them. They do a lot of damage and the deer doesn't really know what hit them. And if you think about what the opposite of that is, a big mechanical exploding on their hide and basically like, you know, like a bomb hit them, right? And it sends a shockwave through them and they tear out and they run as far as they possibly can. It's, it makes a huge difference. And I've seen this on several deer over the last few years where they just kind of, they bolt for a little bit and then they just walk off. They go lay down and they die. That's like, Dimitri, what do you think? Cause you used to use fixed blades a lot. Um, you know, I did it as, as well. Um, did you have any issues, Ted, like with mechanicals that made you switch or, ha or has it always been like a fixed blade, single bevel broadhead for you? Uh, no, I had a rage hypodermic, uh, dude, you know, I don't know if you ever heard anybody talk about a mechanical head walking on it. Uh, so I had a steep quartering away shot at a really nice eight point buck and it was like 22 yard shot again, steep quartering away. And I, when I hit that rib, like close to like one of the, uh, the back ribs, you know, mm -hmm. the arrow just hit. It literally hit and stopped basically on a flesh wound. And, it, you know, I guess because ribs are right underneath the flesh anyway. So it must have hit that rib and the arrow just basically did a 180 and laid right there on the ground with a pile of hair there. Uh, I watched that deer walk off and feed 50 yards later. The difference was is he wasn't going to lay down and die because I didn't even get penetration. And I had at that time, I'd never heard of that happening. And then come to find out it's happened to a lot of people. Right. And people don't even, I don't even think realize that these mechanicals are just, they're prone to that. Uh, and I think the rage hypodermic is one of the public enemy number one, you know? <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, in my research of that, I, I, I figured it out. So I went to fixed hit. Well, I shouldn't say that because I was actually on a hunting trip with my son when that happened. And the very next morning I killed the biggest buck that I've ever killed. So <laughs> it actually worked out really good because if I would have killed that eight pointer, uh, I would not have had a tag the next morning to hunt. So right. it ended up working out good, but you know, well, quite frankly, it worked out great because the life, you know, the lessons I learned and graduated from, uh, you know, from that, from that experience were, were greater because the fixed heads are, it's just night and day. Yeah. Totally different. Are you going with a heavy arrow setup as well? Or are you just going with a nice, like good FOC or mid weight arrow for, for that? Uh, yeah, I'm shooting 545 grains. You know, I'm not all in on this. Got to be 82% FOC or yeah. something ridiculous. You know, <laughs> uh, I just want to get you know, a good setup that I'm going to get good pastors with. You know, pastors are the leading indicator, right? Yep. You ask any anybody that uh, has a tracking dog and they track deer. Uh, that's the first question after you know <laughs> where are you and when did you shoot it or whatever. You know, the first question is, did you get a pastor? It's the you know, the most relevant to, are they going to find that deer? So I want a good pass through. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not that good at seeing blood on leaves. I'm definitely not that good at seeing blood on wet leaves. Uh, so I want to know that that animal is going to walk off and basically die in the same direction. Cause I'm just going to go find it. Nice. Nice. That's what I, that's what I think with the, the fixed blade is the big advantage is, you know, not having to quite worry about that perfect broadside shot. You know, you, you see a lot of this, the slightly quartering two shots where, you know, if you have a mechanical, you have to really worry about hitting that front shoulder, you know, where if you have a fixed blade, it's basically, you know, you're going to get through that shoulder. And you, so you basically just have to put it exactly where you need to, or if it's a quartering away, hitting that, that backside shoulder, you know, and you know, probably with most fixed blades, you're going to get through that, that backside shoulder as well, which is going to be a huge advantage. And, you know, cause not all, all, if you're hunting thick brush and, and a lot of these big timbers, if you're going to get that, you know, perfect broadside shot where the vitals are, you know, and those shoulders are going to be out of the way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I want to try to draw a mental line through the, you know, like basically right above the heart. I, I mean, I like to hit the heart, but you know, kind of center mass, you know, of your center of your vitals is going to be right above that heart. And if you can kind of draw a mental or imaginary line through there and aim for that, and you've got the confidence with your setup that you know that, you know, even on steep quartering away or two shots that, you know, you're going to be able to get it in there. When the whole COVID thing went down, Ranch Ferry just blew up and everybody wanted to go crazy with these uh, heavy arrows. But, you know, I just like to see what your opinion is and talk to what, you know, what experience have you been dealing with in the woods? So that's good stuff. Now, you talked about putting some more meat in the freezer. What's left for you this year? Are you going to be going out scouting now or are you getting ready for next year? What's what's on the horizon for you right now? Uh, So season ended last Friday. So, you know, done hunting for the year. Um, yeah, I don't know when I'm going to get out and do some scouting, but it's just great going for a walk in the woods this time of year, you know, you can see everything. So I'm sure it won't be too long, uh, but I don't have anything, you know, planned or set as far as like out of town scouting trips or anything like that. Um, you know, I've got a few game cameras that I, I've got to pull a couple of them been soaking for quite a while. That's always, always fun. You know, it really helps to build the base for next year. Uh, but yeah, it's never too far from front of mind. Awesome, man. Well, dude, how many, how many more episodes do we have coming out from, uh, uh, some hunt fit Ted, uh, YouTube channel? How many more do we have coming? One more kill. And that, more that's kill. the doe that I killed, uh, last Wednesday. Uh, so that they, I got that one on film and that's the one where the, the GoPro, the tether view is not going to be that great, but, uh, the, you know, it, it's a great example. Here's what it the strongest attribute of this video, I think, is going to be the uh, the fixed head argument or debate, whatever. Just because you can clearly see that I hit the deer, you know, on like a, I don't know, probably 22-yard shot. that I hit, you know, back, and you can see that I hit it right in the liver. And watching this deer run off for 10 yards and then, you know, 30 yards later just bed down is, is pretty telling, you know. So then uh, last night, uh, TJ and my son and I went outside and, uh, you know, it, it's been cold, so the deer was hanging for a week almost, uh, or yeah, right out a week. And you know, I uh, used my reciprocating saw to cut the standing rib roast out of it. And that's one thing I really enjoy, you know, cooking, cooking venison. So yep. I've been doing these standing rib roasts where you leave the back strap and on, on the rib cage and grill that sucker like that. And uh, 
Yeah, so it'll be a video coming coming featuring that also. Nice. Yeah, I know. I, I I like what you have going on on your YouTube channel. You have food stuff going on. You got some fitness things, and then obviously your hunt. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Well, Ted, where could people find you and uh, learn more about what you have going on and and all that type of stuff? Well, uh, yeah. Thank you. And I, you know what? I figured if you like to eat, you better like to cook, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So, uh, yeah. And I do really enjoy it. And I enjoy incorporating that into the, into the channel, but, uh, on YouTube, it's hunt fit Ted, like you said, and, uh, Facebook, just Ted bright. And on Instagram, it's Teddy bright 21. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thank you for taking the time out and, uh, look forward to, to seeing what you have going out for next year. And hopefully we'll have a chance to meet at some tether event coming up soon. Uh, so we'll be hosting, uh, one here in PA for the, uh, teach and train tour. So, not sure if you'll become yeah so we're, we're excited for that and sometime in may before our total archery challenge so we'll be uh you know hammering down the specific date in the club where there's a couple places we have in mind and we're in touch with so hopefully we'll we'll find out more soon so ted thanks again for coming on i enjoy it uh, everybody go give ted a follow great stuff great content till next time antler up and that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. I want to thank Ted for coming on and thank you for listening. Hopefully, hopefully you got something out of this one and uh, make sure you go leave a nice positive fuck. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Ted, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate your time. Hope everybody liked this one. And if you enjoyed it, thank you so much. Thanks again for all the support. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com, our Instagram, our YouTube. We have some more videos coming out pretty soon. So thanks again for all your support. Hopefully you're spending some time with the family, staying safe and healthy. Till next time, Antler Up.